Hey everyone, and welcome to the show. Uh, Andrew is away showing off his new trainer, among other things, at uh, Eurobike. So this is going to be a, a solo effort for me. Hi everyone, I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Today, I want to have a chat about what's new with uh, Garmin wearables, as well as kind of a long form answer to your questions about some best practices as far as using your your watches and your bike computers. Now, uh, I say Garmin because that is the device or the device uh, brand that I have the most experience with, but a lot of this advice is going to be applicable to other manufacturers like Wahoo or um, or Polar or Suunto. So uh, broadly speaking, the show will be split into two parts. Part one is going to be about some of the new features that I really like in the, the latest generation or generations of uh, Garmin devices. So this may not be directly applicable to what Polar and Suunto and uh, Wahoo are doing, just because I'm not familiar with those families. Uh, but uh, those of you rocking Garmin's, this will be kind of neat and uh, may even spur <laughs> some of you to think about upgrading. Uh, so some of these new features are directly relevant to training or to overall health and others are just kind of cute, fun features that I enjoy. And so I'm throwing them in there just because I think they are neat. Um, so in no particular order, uh, the new Garmin watches, the ones that were introduced with the latest generation of their optical heart rate sensor. So this would be Garmin 945, um, I believe the new Phoenix 6 series. Uh, on the fitness side of things, the Vivo Smart 4, I think was actually the first watch to have the sensor. Um, and then all of the latest round of fitness watches that they've just announced, like the Venue and the um, Vivo Move 3, I believe. There's a whole bunch of watches now that are carrying the sensor. And it looks like four uh, vertical uh, little LED lights stacked. Um, so with this new sensor, some of the stuff that Garmin's able to do is pretty neat. So they're able to do um, essentially what is a live heart rate variability uh, tracking. But rather than giving you an HRV score, which really doesn't make sense to do live in my opinion. They're giving you what they call a body battery. So this is Garmin's attempt at capturing your, um, basically how well rested you are versus how fatigued you are. So a fully charged quote unquote body battery starts at 100 and uh, as you do stuff like um, uh, as you're active, as you train, as you walk about, as you, and more importantly, as you're in stressful situations. So this could be, you know, <laughs> for me, getting up with my kids and getting them ready to go to school and making sure that they're, they have matching shoes and socks. Um, or it could be, you know, uh, a client meeting or, um, or something stressful going on. Um, to, uh, at work. Now, it doesn't need to be negatively stressful. It just needs to be a, an activity that's that you know heightens your arousal. Let's say so. So something that you have to really focus for and pay attention to. Uh, stimulants also will uh, will tend to increase this um, this drain of the the body battery. So things like um, things like caffeine, obviously. 
Um, and although it's not a stimulant, alcohol will tend to drain it quite quickly because uh, it's something that affects that autonomic nervous system, which is reflected in your heart rate variability, which is then t generally fairly well captured by Garmin's body battery. So um, that kind of long preamble aside, what this actually means for you is that you can see at a glance what's been going on in your day. So if you're unusually tired, you can kind of take a peek at your body battery and see if, uh, you know, that that lunchtime meeting really did take a lot out of you or if it's uh, or if there are other causes for your fatigue. So fairly useful feature. I don't really use it too much to guide my training, but I do keep tabs on it as a kind of a, a trend of, uh, of what my my body is doing overall. Uh, the uh, number two on my list is uh, the the enhanced sleep tracking that Garmin is now offering on many of their wearables. Now, obviously, for this, you'd have to sleep with your watch on your wrist. Um, so, you know, some of the bigger, heavier watches make that a little bit less comfortable. Um, but I think the uh, the information you get is quite useful compared to the older generation. What the new uh, the new gen of Garmin wearables allows you to do when tracking your sleep is fairly accurately monitor the phases of sleep. Um, and so the phases, specifically the ones that are important, I think, to recovery are um, REM sleep. Um, typically, when you sleep, if you're sleeping well, you enter a REM cycle every 90 minutes or so. Um, and so if you're getting a good restful night's sleep, you will see in the output from, the, from when you look at it in the next day, um, regularly spaced cycles of REM sleep. If you're seeing those and they are, you know, nice and nice and, you know, long and, uh, regularly spaced, that's generally indicative of a good night's sleep. Um, and so if you, and conversely, of course, if you don't see that kind of pattern, then, then your sleep was disrupted. Um, so then you can start thinking about what it is that disrupted your sleep. Was it because maybe you had too many drinks the night before, or maybe, uh, as is the case for me often, if I've done a really heavy bout of training in the afternoon or evening, um, that, that often disturbs my sleep. Or if my diet's kind of wonky, let's say if I, you know, <laughs> eat too much food that isn't great for me too late in the evening, um, that can often uh, disrupt my sleep as well. So you can start making... Um, you can start drawing some conclusions about your your actions throughout the day and the quality of your sleep. And of course, if you're serious about your athletic performance, then sleep quality is uh, immensely important. Um, you know, you've heard me say this multiple times, and if I coach you, you probably even more times than that. Um, the fact that uh, training is just breakdown and it, it's not useful to you unless you're able to recover from it and, um, you know, have your body adapt to the, the training load. And most of that recovery happens when we are sleeping. So uh, sound sleep is essential to, well, I mean, to everybody, to general health, but even more, uh, more important for folks who are actively training. Uh, the new Garmin features also have, uh, and this applies to both wearables and their, their edge bike computers, is a heat acclimatization metric. Um, to be fair, I have no idea exactly how it works. I suspect that what it, what it looks at is your duration and intensity and the ambient temperature. Uh, again, I'm not sure if it pulls ambient temperature from the temperature sensor in the, in the computer or if it's actually getting data 
from a weather service, which it does through the Garmin Connect app. But either way, it's kind of it's kind of neat to see um, your heat acclimatization change based on the the, the temperature in which you are training. Um, now that I think about it, I think it is from the sensor itself and the device because I've done. I've done indoor training when it's been hot, um, and uh, it's been it's actually improved my heat acclimatization more than uh, if it, it just pulled the data from the um, uh, from a weather service when it wasn't super super warm. Many of the new uh, wearables from Garmin now have built-in music and built and built-in contactless payments. Um, so these are kind of you know certainly not essential for training, but they are. I think more lifestyle and useful features to have. Um, so music is fairly self-explanatory. It's still a little bit clunky, but uh, they do support uh, a couple of services, most notably Spotify. So if you have a Spotify premium account, you can fairly easily uh, download music to your to your watch, and then you don't need to have your phone with you to listen to your tunes. Obviously, you need a Bluetooth uh, headset or headphones to play with your with your Garmin and uh, you know allow you to listen to the music. Obviously, it does not have a little speaker. Um, contactless payments. Um, this is kind of like your your uh, Apple Pay or your um, Android Pay on your phones. Um, useful if you are out and about without your phone. Um, you know, if you need to go buy a bottle of water or a snack in the middle of that long run, that can be uh, quite the lifesaver if you happen not to have your phone, if you don't want to tote it around. Uh, I am a fan. Uh, I will say this, though. The list of Garmin Pay partners in Canada is woefully small. It is much better in countries like the US or Australia or Europe. Uh, for us, last time I checked, there were only two MasterCards that were supported. And uh, of course, uh, when I got my Garmin 945, I, uh, I went and applied for one of those MasterCards so I could link it to the link it to the watch and, uh, you know, be able to get my my water bottles when I need to when I don't have my phone. One major improvement that is relevant to training is the quality of the mapping uh, on both the new edgy bike computers and the Garmin wearables has improved dramatically. Um, you are now getting full-on maps that include quite a bit of detail. Um, and this was previously only available on the Phoenix series of devices. Now it's on the 945 for sure. Uh, it's on the Edge uh, 530, 830, 1030 series. On the, the watch side of things, the, the maps are really terrific. So on the, my 945, I actually have local trails so local um either mountain biking or trail running trails which don't even typically appear in uh, on the garmin website um but uh they are on the watch and uh, the trailheads for most of the time are marked with the trail name so if you're using a service like trail forks to plan out your run um, and you, you know, you know, the trail name for, you know, the trail name that you're trying to find or trying to follow on your watch map, you can actually see the name of the trail now. Now, it must be said that they don't have every single trail. There were a couple in the, you know, the Don Valley in Toronto here, uh, where I live and train that were not there, but um, the majority of them are, which is super useful if you remember the trail names, but you don't exactly remember where the trailheads are. Um, so it's quite uh, quite handy in finding your way around in the trails.
A couple of features I'll mention just because I think they're kind of fun. Um, I don't know that this is necessarily new, but uh, I use this quite a bit now is the sunrise sunset times widget. And this is just a really straightforward thing that, that Garmin pulls from your GPS location. And I like it because it tells me when I need lights on my bike. So as <laughs> simple as that. If I know I'm going to be, my ride's going to be extending into some twilight, um, then I know I'm going to need some, some uh, lights on the bike. Of course, I could pull this up on my, on my phone, on my weather app, but this to me is easier. And finally, something that seems super simple, but I really find that I'm using quite a bit is there's a new flashlight widget on my uh, on my 945 and all this does is it, it turns the screen to white and turns the brightness up to maximum and obviously it's not super functional as a as a proper flashlight but if you're in a you know in a dark house with sleeping kids and you don't want to be turning on any lights and you don't know where your phone is which happens to be quite a bit and you need to you know, say set the thermostat or you know find that glass of water uh, without tipping that thing over uh, turning on that little wrist based light is actually quite handy so for something that seems so trivial i find that i use that feature quite a bit Okay, so with uh, all of that new fun stuff out of the way, let's talk a little bit about um, how I set up my Garmin devices. Now, this came from a number of questions from folks uh, and both people I coach and people I've just talked to who, who asked me, what is it? What should I be looking at You know, when I'm looking at my Garmin? And as always, we'll have detailed show notes for uh, all of this information. So don't worry about scrambling for a pen to write all of this stuff down. The, uh, the first thing that is really important is to ask yourself the question, is the information that I'm looking at, is it actionable? Right? And that is, when I, when I take a glance at my Garmin, what I'm seeing, is this something that I can now make a decision based on that information that will affect the rest of my training or the rest of my racing? So with that in mind, you kind of want to have an idea of two really important things. One is intensity and one and the other is duration. So whenever I build my data fields, for the most part, I'm curious about intensity or duration. So let's take a look at the bike. Your intensity is either power or heart rate, and your duration is either distance or time. Um, in some cases, I prefer distance, in others time. If I'm doing a race, obviously I want distance because it's a set distance. And if I'm training, then sometimes time is even better than distance. Uh, generally, when I prescribe workouts, it's always in time and not in distance. And intensity power is uh, obviously the gold standard, and it's the metric of your of your output uh, your output energy over time. And heart rate is a pretty good um, a pretty good metric of internal energy. Now, it must be noted, and this could have gone into the um, the first part of my of my chat about new features, is that Garmin. And it seems like fairly quietly, they didn't make a big fuss about this, introduced um, introduced the ability to measure your ventilary rate. So this is the rate, of course, at which you're, you're drawing breath. Now, this is really cool because a lot of, um, a lot of the studies that we base our understanding of um, metabolism on uh, actually use ventilary thresholds rather than power thresholds or heart rate thresholds. So there's there are two. There's the one that there's a VT1, the ventilary threshold one, and VT2, the ventilary threshold number two, which I won't get into too much detail, but roughly VT2 maps onto your FTP or your anaerobic threshold or your maximum lactate steady state. It's fairly close. Um, and uh, VT1 is more about 
tends to correlate fairly closely with the the intensity at which you're maximally using um, fat for fuel. Roughly, this is a very very gross oversimplified explanation of those two thresholds. But the reason that they're cool is because um, kind of like heart rate, they're measures of internal energy usage rather than external, which is the output. So, so ventilatory threshold, ventilatory rate is more of a measure of the what's going on inside your body. And unlike heart rate, they're not affected by things like stimulants. And perhaps more importantly, ventilatory rate is not doesn't lag effort nearly as much. So if you're doing a, a hard interval, your heart rate is going to lag your power by quite a bit, whereas uh, your ventilatory rate is going to respond much, much faster. So it has potential to be incredibly useful for training. Now, it must be said that I'm not 100% convinced that it works well right now in my kind of very N equals one simple oversimplified testing. Uh, I've, I've seen it go up and down, you know, at times when I know my ventilatory rate's been pretty steady. Uh, and that's because of the way that it's actually calculated. Um, I believe what Garmin is doing here is it's looking at heart rate variability. And then it's, um, it's, it's well documented that heart rate variability changes slightly when you inhale and exhale. So it's you looking at those changes in HRV and then predicting when you're taking an in-breath or an out-breath. Now, I don't know the science behind this very well, so I'm not going to be talking too much about it, but I suspect that's what they're doing. And so it's not super accurate because it's um, there's it seems like there's still a lot of room for error. But uh, there's probably a good chance that through um, improved algorithms over time, because again, this is a very new feature, Garmin will be able to, uh, to make this a much more reliable metric. And when they do, it becomes a very powerful tool for us coaches and for you athletes uh, in um, both, both assessing how hard you're working internally in the moment and then obviously in post, um, post-workout assessment. Uh, now, it must be said, too, that this does not work with optical sensors. You must be wearing a chest strap. And it's only available, as far as I know, on the latest generation of um, Garmin Edge computers. I'm not sure if it's available on the, the latest generation of the Forerunner and Phoenix watches, but I can't, I don't imagine why they wouldn't do that because it's uh, similar, similar technology. Anyway, so that was a little bit of a digression. So, um, back to setting up your bike computer. So um, if we go back to intensity, remember I said it's power, heart rate, or this new ventilatory rate, which I'll leave off for now because I don't think it's quite, it's not ready for prime time yet. Uh, for power, um, go back and listen to our episode with uh, Scott Cooper about how power meters work. Um, and then what I say next will make a lot of sense to you, or if you've been riding with a power meter, it'll make sense. Instantaneous power is a useless metric. Uh, that is because your power changes dramatically throughout the cycle of the pedal stroke, um, and it really depends on when your head unit is listening for the transmission from your power meter. So instantaneous power is going to vary so much that it's not going to be uh, an actionable metric. Remember that phrase again. So instantaneous, I never use. I'll either use three or 10 second power really for peak power management. So this is for this is to make sure that I'm not working too hard generally um, because this uh, three second or 10 second power which essentially just averages out the last three seconds or 10 seconds. Um, basically make sure that I'm not working too hard at any one you know, moment of my training or racing. 
And then I also will look at lap power um, for more steady state performance. Remember that triathlon is very much a steady state sport. So unless you're doing draft legal or road racing, of course, um, that steady state power is, is of significant importance. Now, it's uh, I should mention the difference between normalized power and average power here. A normalized power attempts to capture the you know, the, the true cost the true difficulty of your training. So it emphasizes the high intensity work. Um, I have used to use normalized power a lot. I've actually switched to average power for efforts where I know they're going to be steady state. So for instance, for racing or for, uh, training on really quiet roads where there's not a lot of interruptions where I'm doing, um, sort of steady state work when I'm trying to keep power fairly constant, I'll actually use average power. And then if I'm riding in the city or if I'm doing work with, um, you know, that's a little bit more stochastic, a little more unpredictable, like if I'm riding with a group of, uh, of road cyclists, for instance, I prefer normalized power because that, that better captures the, the effort required to sustain that, that power. Uh, so that's on the intensity side from power uh, for heart rate. If I do look at heart rate because I kind of want to have an idea of what my you know internal workload is like. Um, and, pa- and heart rate, I just look at live heart rate because heart rate doesn't swing too much. So it's a pretty stable metric. I also look at live cadence. Generally, I just leave cadence well enough alone. I just kind of let my brain and legs do what they want to do. But cadence is useful if you're trying to do cadence workouts, obviously. If you're trying to do high cadence or low cadence work, it's really good to see. And because the edge computers have a nice big screen, even the 530, um, adding a cadence data field to your main screen is, uh, you know, you're not going to really force anything else out, out or make it too small to see. To summarize, on an edge bike computer, I would have 10 second power as my primary field, as well as lap power whether it be average lap power, or normalized lap power, that's something else I want to do. And I'll set up my edge to auto lap every really more frequently than, than maybe most people, but typically every two kilometers or so. Um, so to give you an idea, if you're riding about 30 kilometers an hour, you know, each kilometer takes about two minutes. So two kilometers takes four minutes. So every four minutes I get a refresh of that lap power or lap normalized power field. And that gives me a really nice steady power number that I can look at and get a sense of what my recent average has been like. Uh, I'll also look at cadence and I'll also look at distance or time, depending on what kind of work I'm doing. If I'm using a um, a wearable, so a, a watch for this um, for the bike, I'll probably sl- split that, that one data screen into two data screens because uh, the watch just has a lot less surface area to display data. And uh, my vision is not what it used to be. So I kind of keep the watch data fields to only two uh, two per page because when I'm riding, when I'm doing the bike. Because usually I only get a, a quick glance at it and then back to you know paying attention to the road. So only two data fields per page when I'm on the bike if I'm using a watch. One last thing I'll mention about the bike is that um, the data field that a lot of people like to have is speed. And this is the one I'm going to rail against. So here goes. Speed is not an actionable metric when you're riding a bike. Um, unless you're doing like, you know, unless you're doing a time trial or something where you're you're trying to hit a specific specific time. And even then, I would argue that it's pretty useless. Power, heart rate, cadence are much more actionable metrics. So speed is one of those vanity metrics in cycling, which I know we all kind of, you know, kind of like. So I do have on my third 
page, I think, on my Garmin. I do have speed just in case when I'm bombing down a big descent, I kind of want to know how fast I'm going just because it's fun. Otherwise, speed is a completely a useless metric. Um, it's even more useless indoors, obviously, because it's completely artificial. But if, even when you're outside, speed is just, it's fun, but it is, it does not, it doesn't tell you how hard you're working. It doesn't tell you how well you're doing. So that's why it doesn't, in my opinion, have a, a primary place, at least on, um, on your, on your data fields on the bike. Okay, switching to the run, um, same applies. I wanna know intensity and I wanna know duration. So for intensity, we actually have three options. Power, if you're running with a power meter, um, which is kind of cool, go listen to our Steve Palladino episode uh, about why you you should be running with power. I think that it's, it's all upside and it's actually not a very expensive device. So the barrier to entry is quite small. So power is my now my preferred metric for, uh, for running intensity. Uh, pace is a, still a very useful metric, um, and heart rate is something that I, I, similar to the bike, I use it more for checking, checking in to see what my body's doing as it's putting out that mechanical power. Duration's the same, it's distance or time, and it depends on the, the specific application. So um, the same as um, with uh, cycling power, instantaneous power or instantaneous pace when running is a pretty a pretty dodgy proposition it's not going to fly up and down as much as bike power will but it does still wobble quite a bit so if i'm looking at power and uh, if you're running with a garmin and you're using stride which most people are, will have as their running power meter if they have one you actually have to set this feature in the um, the connect IQ data field. So you do this on your phone. It's a little bit clunky, but, um, once you do it once you, you're, you're pretty much set. So the, um, the preferred, um, and the preferred metric for power that I use for running is 10 seconds. Uh, and as for pace, I will use lap pace. And again, I have my watch auto lap every one kilometer in this case. So lap pace gives me a really good indication of what I've been doing for the last, you know, depending how hard I'm working, three and a half to six minutes, right? Depending how quickly I'm running. So depend, that's how quickly it'll, it'll refresh. Um, I also find it useful to have a last lap pace um, field. And this is something that I took from DC Rainmakers, one of his early posts before he blew up, um, when, he was, when he was talking about what I'm talking about, how to set up your Garmin. And um, the value of having a last lap pace on your data screen so that you can see where you were obviously in the last lap, in my case, the last kilometer. This is great if you're running a race because then you can start to see trends. Like you can see, am I slowing it down? Am I picking up the pace? What's going on? And this does actually inform what I'm gonna be doing because I have a little bit of a window into the last, you know, again, four to six minutes of my life. Um, and this is also important if you're, you know, if your garment has just ticked over, has just lapped, um, the first few seconds of this new lap are going to be essentially instantaneous pace. So that's not super useful, but then that last lap pace field will still give you the information of your, of what just happened, your very, very recent past. Um, one note about this is that ever since I think the 920, uh, unit, and I'm not sure which of the running units did this, Garmin started reporting, uh, pace based on just the, the accelerometer using the accelerometers only in the watch so worn on your wrist um, they only do this when you don't have a gps signal when you're indoors and it is useless um, now 
it's a little bit less useless for some people than others. And honestly, I've seen it improve over the generations of watches um, or the generations of algorithms. I cannot say for sure, but it's still wildly inaccurate. So if you're running indoors, um, you need a foot pod or you're not getting good data. Now, if you're running on a treadmill, as much as treadmills are not super accurate, I would run, I would trust treadmill speed or treadmill pace well before I would trust Garmin's reporting from the wrist, um, from the wristwatch itself. Uh, now, of course, if you have a footpod or a stride, which is even better than a footpod, um, then I would say that uh, then the data is accurate. So then you're getting you're getting good good data. Um, one other note, and this is something that uh, Steve Palladino brought up when we chatted with him about the stride a couple weeks back, is that the um, the stride or a foot pod, but stride's a little bit more accurate, is better than GPS even in some circumstances. So in uh, certainly on trails, especially trails that run switchbacks, um, if you're using GPS just because of the accuracy of the satellite signal or the, the interpretation of the signal and the sampling frequency, so how quickly your, your Garmin records it, you actually end up losing... Um, quite a bit of distance if you're running switchbacks on trails also under heavy tree cover gps is not as accurate as it would be otherwise so that you know that exacerbates the problem um, same thing kind of happens on the track when you're running oval sometimes you'll see your you know even if you're running the exact same lane for the whole workout you'll see your, the the oval drift a little bit and that just has to do with the inaccuracy of the gps um, whereas a, um, a foot pod or a stride power meter is considerably more accurate in these applications. So um, this is useful to keep in mind. Um, also applies when you're running in uh, in heavily built up areas like urban centers. If you've got tall buildings around you, uh, GPS signals can be terrible. Even with um, pretty good GPS chips, modern GPS chips, they still struggle with uh, with big buildings. So uh, a foot pod, if you really want good accuracy, a foot pod is still your best bet. Heart rate is something that I look at uh, for running intensity, but again, I use it just to um, just to keep tabs on what I'm doing. So, for instance, for for endurance runs or easy runs, uh, long runs, I often set uh, for my athletes a cap of heart rate. Let's say you know, look, you can modulate your pace, but this is the max heart rate I want you to hit, because we're looking for uh, really internal adaptations there, and um, and heart rate, especially in steady state work, um, can give you a pretty good. Uh, a pretty good idea of where, of what the internal uh, metabolism is up to. So as far as the actual pages on my Garmin, I find that four is too many. Again, you know, vision not as good as it used to be. Plus, I don't want to be staring at my watch. I want to be able to do it very quickly at a glance. So I generally have um, have a couple of pages. Uh, one, is, the first one is 10 second power because I like my stride. Then lap pace and distance. This is my go-to for racing because this tells me everything I need to know. Um, if I'm racing, um, if I'm racing a long event, if I'm racing a marathon or uh, say 70.3 run or or Ironman run or an ultra or anything like that, then I'm also going to want to know heart rate. So then my uh, my second field is something like lap pace or power, then last lap pace and heart rate. So this tells me what uh, both what I what I'm doing, what I have been doing, as well as what my body, you know, what the internal metabolism of my body is up to. A couple of quick points about um, how to set up your Garmin 
when you first take it out of the box. So these should be things that you do right away and then you kind of set it and forget it. Um, the most important is uh, data recording. What data recording refers to is how often your Garmin samples data from its sensor. So be that the GPS, heart rate, power, um, any of the any of the sensors that are connected to it. Now, for some legacy reasons, um, there is a feature called smart recording, which I don't exactly know how it works, but it doesn't sample as often as every one second, which is, of course, the other option. So it's either one second recording where the, the Garmin samples every one second or smart recording. Again, I don't know the algorithm for how smart recording works. I think it came from the era of very limited memory capacity. So you didn't want big... Um, big files, big uh, workout files on your garment. But now that memory capacity is a non-issue on even like watches that are 10 years old, smart recording is completely useless. And I don't understand why Garmin still has it as an option and even more so that it's the default option. So the first thing you do is you go into your settings and switch from switch data recording from smart to every second to one second recording. The other thing I like to do is to set up auto laps and auto pauses for my my bike and my runs. Um, generally, what I'll do is for road running, road cycling, I'll have an auto pause that is at a slow moving speed. So not a complete stop, but a slow moving speed below which I'm clearly not running or cycling. And um, for trails or for mountain biking for uh, cross or whatever, then I'll turn that off. I'll turn auto pause off because maybe I'm walking over an obstacle or I'm stuck somewhere and I don't want it to, uh, to auto pause on me. As far as auto laps, this is a personal preference for running. I generally do every kilometer for cycling. I do every two or every five, depending on how long the distance of the race is and how steady state my, I expect my power to be. But they're handy because laps allow you more in like you know, post workout assessment. They allow you to split your workout easily and, and look at uh, sort of discrete elements of the workout and have, a, have an easy peek at what's going on within each one. So laps I find, find quite useful. All right. Well, uh, that's it for me. Um, next week, we'll have Andrew back and uh, we'll likely have a guest as well. Um, if you have any questions, then of course, do, do reach out and uh, post them. We will uh, answer them as quickly as we can. Uh, and as always, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends, rate us on iTunes and uh, tune in for next week. 